0: Well, uh, hello to everybody. Uh, this is Nordic Horizons, and uh, hello to folk who are watching us on Independence Live. Um, I should say before we start, I realize it's probably not everybody's been to a Nordic Horizons meeting before. Uh, we are actually an apolitical group who was set up Jing's uh 12 years ago to try and learn a little bit more about our nearest neighbors who also have this habit of being tediously good at practically everything that we're kind of so so at. Um, so we have no stance on anything politically. Um, And this would be a good example tonight, because what we're discussing, local democracy is just the Cinderella of of Scottish politics, of British politics. Really, nobody cares. Um, And yet, it's a strange one, because we are actually quite exceptional. We in Scotland have the largest local, so-called local councils in the developed world. Um, Nearly everybody seems to agree that's not okay. And the Convention of Scottish Local Authorities, COSLA, produced a report um, about, probably about eight years ago now, uh, which accepted that we have far too big councils and that that has hollowed out democracy in Scotland over the last 50 years. And even COSLA, now bear in mind, it represents the existing large councils. It called for about 100 councils And just so you get your eye in for this before we start, uh, Scotland has just 32 councils. That's 32 unitary councils. Uh, Now, it's worth remembering that because we have two great contributors tonight. Um, One is uh, Dennis Holm from the Faroes. Now, the Faroes, I think, has 30 or perhaps 29 councils. Uh, We'll clarify that in a minute. And they have a whopping 55,000 people in the Faroes, right? Right. I could have hit you with a load of slides here, but let's not do that yet. 30 councils for 55,000 people. Scotland, 32 councils for 5.4 million people. I mean, that gives you an idea of where we are on this, and it's kind of not that great. Um, We also have a comparison with Norway, and we'll be hearing from its state secretary for local government, now, this is astonishing because I can tell you that um, despite being a broadcaster for a very long time, I don't think I've ever interviewed a local government minister from Scotland or the UK government, uh, certainly not being able to record him and play it um, in his absence as we're about to do. But he was really keen to learn more about Scotland and let us know how Norway works, 356 local councils for the same population as Scotland, which has 32. So I hope you're getting the drift here. We're weird. Um, we're well at a line. And so we're trying to find out. I think most people are kind of aware of this, but they don't know and they haven't confidence in how it could work to have smaller councils. It sounds like a recipe for duplication, for massive costs, for having 2,000 million different kind of service directors. You're all paid big, big salaries. And and perhaps unfair to to council areas whose populations are poorer on average than than some of the richer ones. How does that work? So we're trying to lay some of these ghosts tonight. We're trying to find out um, how it works and how perhaps for remote and rural areas, having really micro councils, as they would be seen in our book, how that might be the only way that you manage to survive the changing trends that there are across the whole Northern Atlantic for small and remote areas. So that's just by way of uh, introduction. Um, We're gonna start off uh, as well by just um, introducing uh, our own Mike Danson. I don't know if he's actually in vision or not at the moment, Professor Mike Danson, because not only is he part of the Nordic Horizon Steering Group, but relevantly, he's a member of the Jimmy Reid Foundation board, And that board, uh, rather, the Jimmy Reid Foundation, produced an excellent report on all of this, the silent crisis report. I've put the link already into chat there if you actually want to have a look at that later. I've got to say I sent it to our Norwegian uh, state secretary and his jaw was on the ground at the end of it. So it's quite a read. Okay, let's start off then by speaking to Dennis Holm, who's joining us. Uh, Now, Are you're you not in Torshavn. Where are you tonight in the Faroes Tennis?
1: Yeah, hi. I'm, I'm here in, in Suurøy, on the southernmost island of the Faroes. We are 18 islands, and I'm sitting here in, in beautiful Wawur. should definitely visit it sometime, especially when the weather is as it has been today and tonight.
0: You, of course, I should have uh, inter- introduced you uh, properly. You're an educational lecturer in the Department of History and Social Science at the University of the Faroes. But relevantly for this, although your academic experience will come in too, but you were mayor of Wagar, this small town on um, Suderoy, uh, which you were mayor there from 2014 to 2020, during which time some very big things happened. But start off by just showing us a little bit about the island.
1: Yeah, this this is the town where I live, live in Wawr, um, and it's a town that lies with a fjord, of course, but many places in the Ferris, we have these beautiful cliffs that you may also know from some places in Scotland. So, so many of the places in the Ferris, we are all uh, close to the sea, and and uh, these great grand nature is, is part of places and part of people of, and part of being fairies. Um, so I'm actually sitting right here in the by the by the fjord right now and the weather is something like this I think. Um, and this is this is originally an old fisheries town. Um, in the southernmost part of the Faroes, we were really close to fishing fishing grounds uh, when we did not have motorized boats and so on. So so we had people that were really skilled and taking advantage of that. So this was really a, a, a fishing town for more than 150 years or something like that. But it, that that has all changed now uh, because of changes in the fisheries, uh, centralizing of the licenses and the fisheries plants and so on. So this is no more a fisheries town. It's more a town based on on the experience economy, you could say. As as our next next neighbors, you should probably know where the Faroe Islands are, but not all do that, know that. But we are in the midst of the North Atlantic, uh, north of Scotland, west of Norway and in between Norway, Iceland and Scotland. And of course, being in the, in the midst of the North Atlantic, we are connected to the to our neighbors via airplane or via ferries and, and, um, and of course, freight transport to, to the next door neighbor. So, so we are actually, it's possible to fly from the ferries to Edinburgh, for example. And most of the Faroe Islands are today connected by subsea tunnels. Um, and we are also building, opening a subsea tunnel to this island, Santoy, uh, within next year in 2023. So actually, of the larger islands, we are the only island that that is connected by boat. So we have a ferry connection to Torshan, the capital, which takes two hours and and it goes something like two days, two two times a day, uh, sometimes three times a day. So it's not possible for us to commute to the good jobs in Torshan or in in the main area and that also means that we have had a, a really hard a really really strong growth area around the capital the urbanization of the faros in the faros is also really visible while the other places like for example suray and also Santoy we have had some difficulties declining population and so on but but uh, we are we are getting better and better now because of of the economic times in the faros are are doing real good uh, to the discussion when it comes to municipalities or local councils, you see a map of the island here on, on the right side. And even though we are only 4,600 people on the island, we have seven municipalities. Um, so we have several local councils that all have their local democracy, uh, from ranging from three members in the local council to, to, uh, to nine here in Wawur. Um, and all of the local councils, they have their local tax base. So also the very small one of Hov and Famion, where there only live 80 people, they also have their own local council and their own local tax base. And this, of course, uh, gives some opportunities um, that they have some money to um, make investments locally, uh, do projects locally and so on. But we all know that... One main uh, part of being a municipality is that you uh, are providing services for your, your inhabitants, for your local uh, people. And and that's also the case in the Faroes, that we provide services like kindergarten. Um, we do the school buildings, municipalities do the school buildings. Uh, we also provide services for the elderly and also f- uh, for child protection and, and uh, the technical area planning, fire department and so on so we have a lot of services that we provide um, to the inhabitants and in the virus, we we have, we have uh, crashed this uh, difficulties with small municipalities uh, if you if you're too small to run your own home for the elderly we will do it together so we are actually running the elderly service for the island together all municipalities uh, some of the municipalities, they're too small to run their own ki- kindergarten or their own, uh, own kindergarten, yet. and then they are buying the services from our next door, uh, the next neighbor, the larger neighbor. So we are really, really using the opportunities of, um, of doing stuff together and co-working uh, around, uh, cooperating around uh, the services that we provide to the people. Fire protection is another issue that that is divided to half. Each half part of the island where we run it together. So even though you are really small, you can still provide really good services to your your people, your your local inhabitants.
0: Dennis, we'll come back. There's some. I'm sure there's some obvious questions beginning to rise in people's minds. And I should say, just use the chat, people. If there's questions you want to ask Dennis, the sooner you get them in, the sooner we can, you know, be processing them as we're going along. Um, just the quick, obvious one is, I mean, any <laughs> the mindset from here would look at a t- an island with 4,000 people and seven councils, which has to cooperate anyway to produce mm. something like an old folks home and say, you guys are crazy. Why don't you just become one big, well, small for us, tiny? It would still be tiny council.
1: Yeah, of course, that debate has also been here in the first State that um, some uh, politicians uh, from the ferries uh, parliament they would like that the municipalities were amalgamated that they were merged uh, into larger municipalities but there were this we had this this um, uh, this uh, general uh, not election but a uh, voting in in 2012 about if we should amalgamate the municipalities if we should merge them and in general, it was a big no uh, because people really like to have their own um, small Local democracy, so that you can you can have an influence on what's happening in your local area, and and we really see that in many places now that uh, that uh, the economy is go, do, is doing okay or doing good in the Faroes actually, and and the economy in the most of the municipalities is doing also doing good, and this means that uh, also small municipalities have more and more money to do stuff for the local uh, local inhabitants. And we see that, for example, the Sumpa, the southernmost town here, in Azuri, they only have something like 330 people in their municipality, and they have made huge investments in, in uh, playgrounds, in their local uh, town, uh, cultural house, and so on, because they have their own tax base. If if was if the island was one municipality I'm sure that the amount of money they have used in in the providing services and, uh, and and opportunities for the local people would not have been made there because the larger council said it's crazy to use so much money in a small village
0: but how do 300 people contribute enough to make services possible is there is there a, a general pulling system for all the councils by the Faroese government or
1: no, we all—all all the various uh, town councils—we are allowed to collect uh, municipal taxes, and the municipal taxes they go from something like twenty-two percent in the—it's income tax, twenty-two percent in the highest tax uh, rate in the Faroes and maybe down to sixteen percent in some of the small ones. Besides the income tax, we also get part of the of the company taxes. So many of the small municipalities, Sumpa, uh, for example, has something like—I think they have something like. Maybe one point five million euros a year in their local budget, and they are only three hundred thirty people, and they don't owe any money or not don't have any larger debt to 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 pay. Uh, they have a school that's in good shape, and so on. So they really have the opportunity of of doing stuff for the locals uh, in in the towns and villages that belong to the municipality. But then the economy changed uh, because of the crisis. Also on Wall Street, hit also Faroes. Uh, and the advantages we had. Being close to uh, to uh, good fishing grounds, they were not so relevant anymore because of the of the engines coming into boats and so on. So we were actually bypassed by by most of the areas ups, up north. So that actually for like seventy years or something like that, we have had a relatively declining population on Surai because people are getting educated and they are seeking jobs in, in the larger towns in Torshov mainly uh, public administration and 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 in private uh, private services and and commercial services also uh, so we were in a, in a in a in a in a difficult situation here in in Sura and in Novar in 2012 when I joined politics i became mayor in 2013 just take the next slide and and we really needed to do something. And and um, one thing that we did is that we changed our focus. We started to work on on uh, what uh, work on on the growth uh, on the growth sector. And one of the main areas, the main economies that were in a big growth in, in 2012 and still is in gr- big growth is, is the experience economy, uh, which is both within tourism and within in sports and so on. And this guy, Paul and he was a local swim hero. He, 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 he won the silver medal in the Euro Championship in 2010. He was comp- training in a 25-meter pool and competing in a 50-meter pool. And, and his commentator on Eurosport in August 2010 said, build that man a pool and name it after him. And so, so we did actually start a crazy project locally. Um, we were a group that started a project and, and soon got all of the town involved. And this energy that, that a town has is, is, is quite impressive. And, and that's why I think this, this idea about local democracy is, is really good and really strong, because when you have a local democracy and a local tax base, you really can do crazy stuff.
0: OK, so just, started... Dan, just scroll through now. These are the yeah. pictures of that the, the, you'll see at the beginning. You yeah. cannot look at that. Yeah. I cannot and, believe that, that yeah. and we and we got this building
1: them. building ground from the municipality i wasn't i wasn't part of the, of the town council at that point and and we got fundings a gift from a company uh, that had connection to the town to start a foundation mm-hmm. and then we just started build and people just started to join in both uh, giving Money to the, to the building, but also helping it. So people, these are sailors on the left that were working abroad that, uh, that when they were home, they, they helped for free. And to the right, people also helped to prepare the ground uh, for free and so on. So this crazy idea with the building of 50 meter pool soon became a, 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 a town's project. And everybody's project everybody could could join in and help and even when people were home in the summer holiday they helped preparing the the opening day ground opening in in october 2015 and of course we had a huge huge party with polluans and being the first swimmer to join in so actually we are a town of 1370 people and we actually have a have a 50 meter swimming pool Uh, probably the smallest place in the world that has a 50 meter swimming pool we also have an indoor football arena um, uh, we have a sports high school and so on because we have focused really hard on developing uh, developing the experience economy locally. So that this has also changed the way the economy here is. Uh, if you go back to 2012, we had something like 250 jobs within fisheries. Today we have 10, but we have we have created a vast number of new jobs within the experience economy within the sports high school restaurants. Uh, and hotels and uh, Airbnbs and so on. So we are really created an economy within the experience economy by using the opportunity that a local democracy and a local tax base has. And just I
0: mean, just because this is being quite modest, um, just having looked through the rest of the PowerPoint you sent me, but it's quite a long one, um, you've got something like a 485% increase in the number of beds for tourists in that period yeah. in seven years. You've got a new campsite You've got um, the sports high school that looks absolutely fantastic. With uh, For 48 kids, it looks yeah. like there's room for yeah. boarding as well. You'll yeah. see at the very beginning of the chat, I put a link into the website that shows you more about that. You've got digital nomads there. You've got a digital artist-in-residence. Um, you've got a new project is res- in residence in the Arctic mm-hmm. where you're looking for Scottish island partners, potentially. Yeah. Um, and uh, just we'll, we'll come back to this because I'm sure people will want to know more about it. But you mentioned the ferry connection between Sulroy and Scotland and it, you tried to, to restart it just before Covid and it didn't work.
1: Yeah.
0: What I hesitate to ask, but what went wrong?
1: Uh, yeah, what went wrong? Uh, mainly, I think the lack of in- investors um, lack of money um uh, we had a a ferry operating from Surrey to scrapster in the 1970s 80s and up to the 1995 it was closed down because of political discussions it's a long long story but uh, it was closed down Uh, but we have we have since here on surrey discussed that it's really stupid that we don't have a ferry connections to our next door neighbors Um, we have a flight to edinburgh that goes uh, uh, twice a week uh, during part of the year, not all year, but we don't have a ferry connection and it's only 12 hours ferry. Um, so we started that also because of uh, Fair Islands has become a really interesting tourist uh, tourist uh, destination and we saw it as an opportunity to get access to our mainland with something like 80 million people on li- living there or 70 million people living in the UK accessing maybe Surai. Uh, so we saw it as an opp- opportunity, yeah.
0: It's brilliant because there's you in Surroy, which you've got, as you said, you have um, basically 1400 people and you've taken the initiative on a ferry route, which Scotland with 5.4 million people. Hasn't. (laughs) But anyway, um, so right, that's a brief sketch over everything, people. I don't know if it's possible for everyone to keep all of this in their minds, but just while you're getting your mind focused, hopefully on the Faroese idea, um, we're going to play in a, a different perspective that you'll discover is actually strangely very similar, uh, but from a different country. Fer- the Faroes is still um, a very, very devolved part of Denmark. It has the truly the world's most powerfully devolved parliament. Uh, but Norway, which is uh, also a kind of close neighbour, uh, also has famously extremely Devolved local local councils and very powerful ones. So um, I spoke earlier to uh the local government minister who wasn't able to kind of come in and join us now at 7 p.m., but I'm still pretty impressed he joined us at all. Um his his name is Ula Gustaf Narud, and he's the state secretary. You'll hear him introduce himself with his uh in kind of accent up for his name a lot better than my one. And remember, whilst you're watching this, because he comes in with statistics right at the beginning, you have to get the the compare and contrast in your mind ready here. Scotland has 32 local councils. So here we go. um, And uh, Dan, hit the button. Uh,
2: My name is uh, Ole Gustav Nariud and I'm a state secretary in the Norwegian Ministry of Local Government and Regional Development.
0: Right, and we're really pleased to have this chance to have a, a conversation with you, because in Scotland we are going through more local elections, which are actually not local uh, by anyone's definition anywhere else, practically in the developed world. But looking particularly at our, our, our closest Nordic neighbour, which is Norway, our, our, our North Sea cousins, Um, How many, you've got the same population roughly, how many municipal councils do you have?
2: Uh, Presently we have 356 local uh, municipal councils and uh, the number of inhabitants vary from uh, around 1,000 in the smallest uh, municipalities up to 600,000 in Oslo.
0: Right, and on top of that you actually have what we would call county councils as well.
2: Uh, On top of that, uh, there are county councils. Uh, Oslo is both a municipal and county in one uh, organisation. We have uh, presently 11 counties. Uh, It used to be 18 and it will uh, increase again, Uh, so we will have 15 in a couple of years. This is uh, an ongoing uh, discussion.
0: Yes, because the the Conservative government that recently ruled Norway and had done a deal with the Progress Party, pushed through mergers of municipalities, of councils, um, in the name of efficiency and better governance. And it seems that actually a lot of that is now being reversed.
2: Uh, There is a a reversal uh, happening just now. It uh, became one of several topics in the last election campaign. And uh, as a result, you've got a new government and the new government is restoring several of these county councils and even some of the municipal count, uh, councils. So there's a kind of a backlash, I think the conservatives would call it.
0: Yeah. And actually, very few councils in any case did merge. Mm-hmm.
2: There was a very, very long and strong discussion about this, and there's a limited number uh, of municipalities uh, that merged. Uh, I think we had uh, 200, uh, approximately 200 popular votes in, in uh, these municipalities. And uh, in most uh, cases, uh, the popular vote uh, was against merging. So the typical uh, decision was uh, thank you, but no. Uh, But there were a few uh, municipalities who did merge. So uh, there was a reduction in the number of municipalities from, um, I think it was uh, 427 down to 356.
0: But in comparison to Scotland, which I have been shocking you with (laughs) in terms of (laughs) our average size, you gave yours from sort of 1,000 to 600,000 is Oslo. Our average uh, council is 175,000 people, which is...
2: You know, is that that's, local? That, that's not local anymore. The size, the geographical size, and the number of people uh, are so big that it's uh, you don't get the benefits of uh, of um, uh, local democracy.
0: And just because people here will have forgotten what those benefits are, what are they in the Norwegian view?
2: well uh, the main benefit is that you can influence your own future the future of your own local uh, community Uh, it's not uh, it's it's important for a family or for a person to have influence on the development of their own uh, municipalities because uh, that in turn affects your uh, the quality of your school the value of your home and so on so uh, local uh, influence on the development of the society it's important, and it also uh, is important because you want to have uh, support for and trust in uh, politics. You want people to to uh, trust in, have trust in democracy. And uh, I think that uh, if you have a large number of people who have the experience of being a local politician, then there is also a large part of the population who understands better how the welfare state works. If you have a limited number of politicians, and these politicians on top of that are uh, full-time professional politicians, then there is a distance between the voter and the politician and that's not very healthy.
0: You are your own example of that because you ran a small municipality as mayor in, in East Norway And you were actually also, were you at the same time able to continue your job even as mayor, as an academic, or did you have to give up that job?
2: Uh, While I was a mayor, I had to give up the job uh, as uh, an academic. But um, the rules in Norway are so that after a period or two as a mayor, I can go back to my my job at university. So I didn't risk anything.
0: And is that true for the private sector as well as the public?
2: Uh, Formally, yes, but of course in the private sector there is a dynamic development of business and so on. You can't have a law that says that your business is going to be there when you go back because the business may be gone. So if you're a small businessman uh, running your own uh, company or your own farm or whatever, then this is a little bit more tricky.
0: But let's take the average councillor who isn't a mayor. Do they get paid?
2: They have a benefit, but they have no. Uh, it's very unusual that they are are uh, part-time or full-time politicians. You get a compensation for your uh, effort, but uh, it's a big point that it's a limited compensation.
0: So here, I think councillors get thirteen thousand pounds a year, and people are arguing for more. But sometimes they are covering areas the size of small countries as their wards. Um, is that the answer, or is that what begins to happen when the, the, the councils are too big?
2: Well, the council, when the councils get too big, then you lose something that's very important, uh, namely the, um you have to know the society that you are, are serving. You have to know the, the problems that you are supposed to be solving, and people have to know you. There's, it's very important that it's a short distance between the voter and the politician. And if the politicians generally are unknown to to the people, and, uh, and they don't know very much about the municipalities or the, the local uh, towns and so on, that they are serving, then you get uh, um, another policy. It's not it, That's not good for the result.
0: Do, do you hold your council meetings during the day or in the evening?
2: Uh, typically it's uh, in the evening. In a municipality like the one I was uh, mayor uh, and where I've been a local politicians for 30 years, uh, the meetings are in the afternoon, on uh, Wednesday, typically. And, and uh, that's, uh, that's because it's uh, supposed to be possible for you to have an ordinary job and a family life and still be a councillor.
0: And still get home. I mean, in Scotland it can take two days or three days public transport to get to your yeah. local council headquarters, but your, your municipalities, even the ones in the Arctic, are so that you shouldn't spend that amount of time travelling.
2: No, I've been up I've in been Finnmark and visited some municipalities up there and it might be a two or three hour drive from one end to the other end of the municipality, but that's really big municipalities. Well, so typically uh, you can go home and, and uh, there's no inconvenience in being a, a councillor.
0: And that's a very important point because if you can get home easily after a meeting and they don't have to therefore be during the day because you don't spend the whole day travelling, it means you can keep your job. still going to be quite a push to be a counsellor, but you can keep your job and be a counsellor in the evening.
2: Of course, yes, that's very important.
0: So other things that people worry about is um, if there is a very poor area and it must manage all sorts of services, how does it manage when it doesn't have uh, wealthy people to contribute a lot of income for that council?
2: Uh, the councils um, in Norway have uh, transfers from the national government, uh, And there's also a system of uh, transferring uh, tax incomes between the municipalities. Uh, because um, most of the services of the welfare state um, care for the elderly, uh, schools, kindergartens, and so on. It's actually financed by the by the government, by the welfare state, and the monies are transferred in different ways back to the municipalities to make it possible for them to give these services. So the the poor areas don't lose out. No, they don't lose out. Remember. A lot of the people who now live in the rich areas, they were brought up, they were born in the poorer areas. And their parents and their family still live in this poorer area. And then it's, in my in my opinion, it's just common sense that those who moved away are participating in giving welfare to those who stayed behind. If, it's, if you think about it as your own parents, you want your own parents to have a decent care in their in the end of their life. and of course you're supposed to 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 contribute and pay your taxes so that uh, it is possible. That's common sense in my opinion.
0: <laughs> yes, I would agree but <laughs> in Scotland it's such a long time since people lived on the land they were cleared off it such a long time ago and it's owned by so large landowners that there isn't the same degree of going backwards and forwards to a home. In the country, and sometimes that's a difficulty.
2: You have a history that's uh, rather brutal, and it's very different from what we've had in Norway. Um, The land ownership and so on has been uh, centralised in Scotland, while in Norway the typical landowner is a small often part-time farmer. So, uh, who owns the land, who owns the resources? is, of course, also important in the development of a society. Uh, If you have uh, big differences between those who have and those who haven't, as you have in Britain, uh, then there is less uh, confidence in the system, less um, willingness to contribute and so on. uh, You get more political conflicts.
0: And I suppose the the other thing is that those farmers who were the very grounding of the Norwegian society and the new Norwegian state, uh, they didn't want to have a new country where control was all in Oslo. So they so passed time, so they passed a municipalities act to make sure that power stayed local. Uh,
2: even in the Viking uh, Viking era, say a thousand years ago, uh, the farmers they were they owned their land and they had the power to unseat the king. So the Norwegian uh, Viking kings typically were kind of elected, not in a democratic fashion, not that everybody had one vote and so on, but they were dependent on some kind of acceptance from the the local uh, farmers and the local um, stakeholders. And then uh, this has been a tradition uh, all through our history uh, we found that there is a need for local adjustments. Also because, uh, also because, after all, there is a limited budget. You have to make some tough decisions every now and then. If you want to have a new school, well, then you won't have a new nursing home. And these decisions should be made locally. If they want to invest in uh, in schools, then they may not be able to invest in nursing homes, and that's for the local waters to the side.
0: And I've seen some examples, I'm thinking of Ollisund, where there was a whole tunnel network developed to connect the city to the islands, where the council chose to put money into that and put a toll on on roads to raise money from its people and got mm. some matched money from central government. And it was able to change the economy of those islands completely.
2: That's right, and that's a rather good example in my opinion. If the, the politicians and the population in that area decides that they don't need this kind of infrastructure, well, uh, then they don't get it. If they want to have it, they may have to contribute, for instance, through local taxes or through, uh, to to paying, uh, paying for using the roads and so on. But,
0: but this the big argument in Scotland seems to be the presumption that big is beautiful that big is efficient and that you can have economies of scale, that old one, where you can all, a big council can make big purchasing decisions and that pulls down the costs for everybody of the services that it uses. So what's the answer to that with having so many small, how does a council of 1,000 people, honestly, run even directors, the directors of education that get paid a huge amount How does that all work with a tiny municipality?
2: In a small uh, municipality, they probably won't have a full-time administrator uh, looking after the schools. It will be a part-time job, typically a job that you do while you are also teaching. Uh, Even in my municipality, we had four schools and uh, two of these schools were so small that uh, the, the job of being the leader Was a part-time job and the rest of the the person was doing ordinary teaching uh, tasks if you are giving services to uh, the old and sick uh, there is a very limited um, economics of scale Uh, and remember uh, if uh, economics of scale was the only economic uh, mechanism then you would have only monopolies a big municipality is actually a monopoly. There is no competition, no comparing, no uh, dynamics actually. And uh, the theory of monopolies is that it's both expensive and uh, poor quality. So, uh, if you want to uh, kind of discuss what is the perfect size of municipality and so on, you have to consider that it's not only economics of scale, but there is also the problem of monopoly monopoly power so you need competition you need smaller units
0: How do you um, manage a hospital if you're if you're a, a municipality of 1,000 people you won't have enough people to justify having a hospital yourself
2: uh, it used to be run by the by the counties uh, so it's not a municipal decision to run the hospital it was the counties who, who used to have it after the government um, nationalized it, uh, the number of uh, people employed in uh, all kind of administrative uh, jobs have uh, grown rapidly. Actually, the smallest municipalities will uh, typically um, uh, have some kind of cooperation with neighboring municipalities uh, on, uh, say, technical services, waste uh, management. Uh, Uh, maybe even if there's uh, short distances, water ma- management and so on. Uh, uh, running buses and trains and whatever is also typically done by several municipalities together. The difference between a municipality and an ordinary business is that they, um, uh, it's easier for a municipality to, uh, to um, cooperate with a neighboring municipality whereas if these are businesses it's not might it may not even be allowed to uh, to uh, cooperate
0: that's a really good point but then would people not come in and say look if you four neighboring municipalities are all cooperating all the time why don't you just become one big municipality was that what the conservatives said
2: that's, ju- that's just what the Conservatives said they said that uh, these municipalities they uh, cooperate a lot. And all this cooperation is a problem because uh, the local councillors aren't able to uh, to control the cooperation. Uh, In my opinion, that's not true because uh, the uh, the number of uh, services that you uh, cooperate uh, with other municipalities on on uh, making are uh, after all they are limited and they get a lot of attention. The local politicians, they are watching what are these other municipalities and we, what are we producing and how is it working? And they have an opinion on it. Often it's they are more interested in these services than the services that they themselves have the full responsibility for. So it's a, it's a complex uh, picture. Uh, but to say that because municipalities are uh, cooperating, there should be uh, kind of forced into a union uh, is uh, wrong in my opinion so really you you keep the political control
0: in the munici- municipalities even if people cooperate together
2: you still keep the political control at the small level certainly that's uh, that's uh much of the point, the laws and the regulations are so that it's supposed to be uh, to remain in local control. But of course, if you are cooperating with somebody, uh, investing in uh, in um, waste management, for instance, then it's not for you just to leave the cooperation. There, it's regulated. So you are. Uh, it's like if you invest in a school, then the school is there. You can't change your mind. You have to, this is done and you have to complete it for, for a number of years. Most of these uh, issues where you are cooperating with other municipalities are things where there are economics of scale and where you do the investment because it's uh, economically sound. It's, it's uh, kind of yeah, smart.
0: So finally, um, what would you say to Scotland then? <laughs> Um, with our structure. I know as a a Norwegian you probably would never presume to say anything to any other country about how they run their things. But I mean, I know when we spoke before you were quite shocked really at the size of what we're working with here. What are we missing?
2: Well, you are losing out in a sense because uh, most people would uh, gladly contribute to developing their own municipality, their own local town, their own local island and so on, if they were given the instruments to to participate. I think that uh, the the benefits uh, outweighs the costs. It's uh, very important that uh, you try to run your country so that uh, everybody who can uh, and will participate has a possibility to, to, to contribute to the development of the country. The history of Norway is, uh, is a history where local municipalities um, started uh, building uh, roads and power plants and so on, and developing industries. And they also gradually developed uh, schools and social services. And then in the end, this was kind of nationalized so that it became national policy. It's a way, of, historically, a way of developing the whole country, where people who are living out in the country participates and uh, and uh, creates something that becomes national policy over time. So that's what you're missing out. You're you're not uh, exploiting the full uh, the full um, strength of the population, the full. Uh, what you call it, the potential of the of the population. That's uh, that's not good. You should try.
0: <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. That's a tremendous insight, and I know there's much more we could talk about. But thank you so much for your time, Ulla. and uh, we'll see what Scott's make of your your, your words.
2: <laughs> uh, we'll see. Thank you. Anyway, it was very, very interesting to be interviewed.
0: Well, um, well, that was, I I must say, I was quite gobsmacked by uh, by all of that. Um, And I hope you were too listening. Uh, Just let's begin to open up now to to other speakers. But just before we do that, um, I just wonder when when you were listening to that, Dennis, I know you have just organized a conference in the Pharaohs. Because in fact, one speaker we were looking for was at your conference, so we couldn't have him. <laughs> so you've been busy on this front. Um, but does that, you know, it, it seems to be such a similar outlook um, from, from Norway. And, and really, I mean, it's a shame in a way that we had recorded um, Ula. so you couldn't see the shock on his face when I told him, you know, the size of, of, of our councils. Do, hmm. do you feel some of the same?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think all the story was, was similar to my my thinking of your way of uh, running councils. Uh, because if you look at the history, for example, in the Ferris, we have really, really small councils, and and. Uh, and if you want to look at the development in a local area you want to in some ways to look at what is the trend in society and how can people participate in 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 as also mentioned that in creating a a good life in the areas and today we see that this this new trend is emerging everywhere in in the west in the north atlantic all around in the north atlantic in, in europe also that people are again tr- wanting to live in in rural areas where there's a great nature where there's peace and quiet they want control of their time and control of their life and so on and this really brings to life uh, the local uh, local councils because when people move to a small place uh, we have the same story as in norway people really can make a difference if you come to a small place but if you live in a small place where they may have two hours uh, travel, two days travel to the local council and you don't, it's, it's impossible to make a difference. So I i, I agree to his, his shocking with the large municipalities that you have or large councils you have in, in Scotland, yeah.
0: And just the, the example that, that we looked at there of education, where he said that a director of education in a small municipality is very often a teacher. Hmm. Is that the same with you?
1: yeah the various municipalities we don't have we don't run uh the, we run the school buildings we don't run the run the schools themselves uh, but for example regarding care for the elderly some places that we have directors for care for the elderly that are both directors and also do work in care so so it's not just that we have an administrative post but we people have people that are really flexible in 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 our in our systems
0: but i imagine that also has the advantage that you're <laughs> As we would say, keeping your hand in, I mean, you're yeah. you're basically very close to the sharp face of whatever service you're providing if you're actually working in it, delivering yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the main discussion about bigger municipalities is that you want to have systems that can control everything and so on. But in a small municipality, you really don't need a big system to control everything because people are so close to each other. And if there is something wrong at the home for the elderly here in our town, uh people that are either living there or working there or relatives they will let us know right away so that we can we can we can change what what they think is wrong we don't need a system to control it
0: do you have a rules about how you cooperate or do you just get on with it
1: yeah in some areas, we have rules uh, regarding, for example, the, the care for the elderly. We, we have rules how, how we cooperate, um, and also within the child protection area, we have rules how we how we uh, cooperate. But in other areas, for example, within the kindergarten and so on, we we, we just find out. Uh, we do it together and solve the problems together, and 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 typically with a larger municipality uh, providing services to a smaller one. Uh, so, so it's, and we also have, for example, in this part of the island, we have together a, a health house where where we have a doctors and dentists and so on, where we together, where four municipalities together own the health house, and it's just run by common sense. It's not a big set of rules.
0: Boy, I could imagine four four sets of people really falling out over who pays what for for that facility. You you don't fall out at all
1: no no we, we've just we have made an arrangement that we pay uh, in, in relation to how many how to, to the population and of course over time the population has changed. some of the towns they've gotten smaller and some of them some of the municipalities they've gotten bigger and so on and this is just an acceptance that we have
0: And there's another question from Dave Kidd which body manages housing, industrial developments and planning who does that?
1: Yeah, in, in the first, we we run the as the municipalities they run uh, run planning uh, uh, general town planning where you want industrial areas where you want housing and so on. We also give give uh, uh, people the acceptance to build a house. They have to come to the municipal municipality and ask for, for the permission to build a house, and and they will they will get that from the municipality. This is the way that uh, that the Norwegian minister also mentioned the competition between uh, the local democracies, uh, local councils.
0: Yeah, um, there's. I'm going to take one more question and see if I can actually get the, the questioner to ask it himself, and then bring in Mike Dunson, who's just waiting to you know, to come yeah. in. Uh, Tom Tubulty, are you there? and Do you want to ask this question yourself? It's a good one. Um, yes, thanks very much. Uh, can you? Let's see you, Tom. Uh, all right, hang on. Or if come on, have you got you got a bonnet on or something? No, no. Right, no, there no. you go. Um, Bunnets are okay, by the way. <laughs>
3: No, the question I had um, for Norway, and I presume for for Faroes too, to a certain extent, is our councils are dominated by large national parties. Um, Does that filter down to municipalities from the size of of what they are in Norway or, or Faroes? Because if it does, I think one of the reasons why we don't get cooperation so willingly and so readily in our councils is because the big national parties tell them what they can and can't do. Um, who will cooperate with whom is a big issue at the moment in the upcoming local council elections. So I just wondered, when you get down to that sort of size, whether these national parties have the same kind of um, influence that they they do here. Dennis?
1: yeah in the first we have uh, in the largest municipalities we have uh, we have the national parties that they, they run also for for the election for for councils uh, for the municipal, municipal councils but in the smaller smaller municipalities you don't have that but we don't have this this national agenda that that, that uh, we have uh, the parties that work together and on the national level that they also uh, they also demand that you work uh, together on, on on local level don't have that it's, it's just in some of the smaller areas uh, the larger areas we have that the the, the election is arranged the parties, so that the parties they help uh, help uh, getting people listed, so that uh, that you can uh, run the election and so on. But in most places, we don't have that. Also, in, in larger municipalities, we don't we don't uh, run with with the political parties.
0: Right, Joe Gorman, go for it.
4: I, I, actually, I just wanted to to answer Tom's question about whether local politics is is actually still dominated by party politics. I live in a, a municipality with about twelve thousand people, so that is pretty small by by Scottish standards. Joe,
0: whereabouts are you Just
4: it's a place called Malvik which is outside of Trondheim. So so Trondheim is a big city by Norwegian standards, and Malvik is just its neighbour. But like about twelve thousand people, and it's very much dominated by party politics. I would say it, it isn't this utopia of a very local feeling. In all the discussions in the local newspaper, is you know we're going to vote the Labour Party, the Tories, the Greens, whatever. So, so I would say that doesn't isn't any different to Scotland, at least in this place. Maybe in much smaller ones, like what Dennis was talking about, you get a completely different dynamic. And I also just wanted to point out something. If if I from my experience, of having living in both countries. I've lived half my life in Norway and half in Scotland. I feel that in Norway, and this is just my own feeling, there's a greater local identity amongst the people. And, and what Dennis was talking about, of people or, and Ola, rather, was talking about people still having contact with where they grew up. I think that happens more here. So here I live in Malvik and I know some families whose surname is Malvik. And why is that? Because they've lived here you know forever I grew up in Coatbridge in Scotland I never met a Mr and Mrs Coatbridge so you know that kind of summarizes the difference for me. I'm
0: just seeing other questions here um, in fact it was John Bryden who also wanted to come in John is well I'm never quite sure where John is actually but happily he's nearly always with us. Uh, John where are you?
3: I'm in Denmark. Right Rural oh Denmark. hello there <laughs> you're both there. <laughs> Hi, Hi Um, No, I mean, this is a very interesting discussion and thank you for bringing the issue back on the table because it's so important for the future of Scotland. And of course, our histories in Scandinavia and Scotland are completely different. uh, And we have a different trajectory. It's worth remembering that Wheatley Wheatley was the one who really created these large councils to start with, Wheatley Commission the Quigley report, and uh, that was under the conditions of Scotland without a parliament. And it was, as I recollect, some kind of experiment. And it's interesting that that experiment was never adopted anywhere else in the UK. Scotland got left with it, but it was, uh, it was then adapted, of course, in several other reforms, but the structure, the large scale structure I think goes back to to the weekly. I mean, after all, I think it was Andy said we had uh, county councils, city councils, and all sorts of things before that. And we even had parish councils in the 1930s. They were abolished in the 1930s in Scotland. And they were quite important because they looked after school appointments, for example, the headmasters, the, the local schools, and so on and so forth. So they had powers. But just importantly,
0: you know, for the discussion here, the Scottish government has the power to change this.
3: It does. It does. But it doesn't show much sign of it. Remember, we've had enormous transfers of power from the local governments since the Wheatley Commission to uh, quasi-autonomous public bodies, quangos. We've had housing taken out of local authority control, more or less. We've had environment taken out. We've had uh, all sorts of other things centralized in Quangos or government. And that also carries jobs and funding with it. And our councils are very weak compared to the Scandinavian councils. Very weak, both fiscally and uh, in terms of dependence on central government funding and so on and in terms of the powers that they have. Yep.
0: Well let's bring, Andy's making a, a response to you here, so, so we might as well have him. Now Andy is probably also uh, coming to us from a wood somewhere in Loch Haber. <laughs> so I don't know if he can appear in vision, can you Andy?
5: Just picking up John's point about the weekly being an experiment, and um, i just put a a link to a blog looking at Berwick, for example. I mean, England has got lots of problems in its local government, but it never got rid of the local councils, which are still parish councils. Now, they don't have much power, but they never actually got rid of them, and that's the critical thing. As as John said, we got rid of parish councils in the 1929 Act, Um, but even then we were left with 430 councils, including 197 town ones, and and they were got rid of, but they were not got rid of in England.
0: Andy, just before you disappear into the buzzy darkness um, again, when you were a member of the Scottish Parliament, it's my impression from the outside that nobody's interested at all in this question, particularly about the scale of of local government, that just looks like it's just a, a complexity too far. And after all, um, there was a pledge to reform the council tax by the SNP in 2007, which hasn't been honoured yet. So when we haven't even got round to discussing how to finance councils, it looks like the idea of, of actually discussing the size of them is just, you know, parked for a, for a decade or something. Did you get the feeling there was any interest by any political party in this issue?
5: Not, not, not really, no. Um, I mean, I suppose the Greens, the Liberal Democrats... Uh, To an extent, Labour and the Conservatives, actually, the Conservatives There was, I I sensed a feeling, and I think this feeling does exist, is that there is increasing centralisation. And typically, opposition parties feel that, government doesn't feel that. Um, But someone mentioned in the chat the National Care Service, and that is just the latest example. I mean, that's a massive raid on local authority competencies. And the politics of the current administration were well summed up by a quote that John Swinney gave at a committee, I'm trying to find it, but I I can't, where he said that um, uh, they were doing something that was basically telling local government what to do. And and he was saying that the problem is that there there there's widely different outcomes amongst different local authorities, and that's not acceptable. And I thought, well, if Boris Johnson were to say that there's widely different outcomes in health or education between the constituent devolved Areas of the UK, and that's not acceptable. And he's going to impose his vision on what should happen, there'd be an outcry. So we have to get away from this language of postcode lotteries and complaining to the power above you when things go wrong and expecting them to fix it by fiat. You know, we, we have to restore faith in our local instruments, but that's not good either. I mean, I live in a ward where there's not going to be an election. The first time in my life, I won't actually go to the polls because uh, there's not enough candidates.
0: This was something I wanted to put back to Dennis, actually, um, because Dennis, there's a statistic. I can't remember where I got it from, but um, over, in repeating it for about 10 years, nobody's contradicted it, which is that um, in Norway, one in 88 people stands for election for councils. In Scotland, it's one in 2071. So we have va- basically far, far fewer people ever stand for election. and. Just to let you know, um, even though we have this time next week we have our council elections, there are areas all over the place where there just aren't enough candidates to even cover. I mean, Andy's talking there about having no election in his ward because there are three places and there are three candidates, so that's it; they just all get elected. Um, do you have in, in the Pharaohs? Um, is there? Do you have competition? You know, is there? quite vigorous elections or does the same person tend to get elected over and over and over again
1: no actually we we have competition here um and actually we have we have something like 200 plus uh, council members in the Faroes. so this this uh, local council election is really an important part of of the Faroes democracy where people are uh, are challenging the seats for the council all over and 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 we have something like 200 people are elected, and, and I I don't have to remember them to count from the last election, but I guess we have something like five to 600 people running for the councils uh, each time. Uh, and, and, and this is an important part of, of local democracy, but it's also the, the foundation for the national de- democracy, because you really teach people to become a politicians in the small councils and run for national government. And you can see the, the importance of the Fairways Council election, because we have a voters uh, uh, participation that runs from 80 to 90 percent in most places and this is really really i think maybe, probably the top scores yeah, scorers in in scandinavia and maybe in, in the western part of of the world uh, we have we have this scandinavian standard of taxes so we have a high income tax uh, generally we, we pay something like 45 percent of our our salary in taxes and uh, most municipalities have something like 20 to 21 percent uh, of income tax that means that all the people that live in the municipality they pay, pay something like 20 to 21 percent of their income as a tax for the local council and that's that's the way the system works in the first we don't have any any uh, transfer from uh, the central government to the municipalities we don't have a Uh, a system where the richer municipalities have to pay to the the poorer municipalities as we have, for example, in Denmark and in Norway.
0: It all sounds fine in theory, but there's this tremendous worry Scots have got about not being capable. I've got to say, it drives me bonkers, but I would love to hear how Dennis answers it. So, Jason, are you there? Right, you've been a wee shy lamb. So, uh, Dennis, can you see that question? And and it was it was just summarized there by Dan. How does each municipality develop or recruit staff with specialist knowledge or technical skills? Is there a risk of quality staff being poached by other councils? Uh,
1: yeah, I, th- I think first I will refer to what Joe was mentioning because uh, he mentioned that that people were called Malvik uh, Malvik uh, to their last name and so on and so on, and I. They're arguing that uh, because of these local democracies that we have in the Faroes and also in Norway, people really get attached to their to their local community because they know they can make a difference. So what we see in the Faroes is that people are really, if they really have the opportunity to move back to the local the place where they come from they do that after they have been abroad or in Dorshavn and gotten higher education and we see that uh, more and more that that the skilled people move back to to for example the community of warber people move back to that and I don't think we see, a, see a, a communities poaching or stealing staff from each other. We don't see that so much because it's also about local pride. If you move back to your local community, you move back to that community and not not to work in a in a in a, in a competing neighboring community.
0: This is this is what interests me because the presumption behind the question is slightly that there are gift, a few gifted people who are like gold dust. And you, you, they, you have to get them from somewhere else. They're not actually going to be in your midst. You're mm. not living amongst skilled people who are capable of running their town. And this makes me weep because it's such a deep-seated belief or presumption here that that that's the case. And I mean, listening to you, I'm sure you're a, you know, you're a very capable man, um, but you, you're easy with it. You know, there's a sort of presumption that everybody will be able to run their own place. Why would Scotland be any different?
1: Yeah, another one, one thing is that that the, the general trend is that the, our younger generations, they're all getting education. Also in the Faroes, I'm sure you, you know that trend also and have that trend in Scotland. And we see that people move back to also the spot. We only have something like fourteen hundred people here, and if you look at the families that have moved back over the last five, six years, most of them are academics, academics with with the uh, with the highest skilled academics, either getting jobs locally in the town, getting jobs on the island, or or commuting to jobs other in other places in in the both in the world, but also, also in other places in the Faroes, commuting on a weekly basis, commuting on a monthly basis with one month abroad and one month in the Faroes. So because people are choosing to live in a small place where they can make a difference. And I think that's really important that, that this opportunity to make a difference on how your life can develop in a small place.
0: And that just pursue that thought for a minute, because we didn't take all of your slides, but what, what it showed was that all the improvements you made, which were very much uh, many of them about facilities, swimming, that brilliant swimming pool, that brilliant sports high school, um, other things, you had a football tournament, you had a handball tournament that doubled the population in Vagar for the four or five days it was held. um. All, all of those things um, would seem you know they're they're ambitious and they have have actually resulted in your population beginning to rise again
1: mm. yeah actually today actually we had we had this one part of this football competition between schools uh, and we had something like 55% of all of the parish pupils in sixth grade coming here to this town uh, more than 400 pupils were here today uh, and, and uh, it's all about uh, when you have a local democracy and you have a local tax base and you have a local town council and people know that they can make a difference. We have really been focusing on that, that uh, we want things to happen here so we can create good memories for our youngsters. And if you can be here in in a very small town and have good uh, experiences and and have good stories during your your youth time as a child and a youngster, then the the probability of moving back is much higher. So we have really been been investing in creating good memories from the place you're growing up. And this is a politic that we can see that many other municipalities in the first day are adopting, focusing on creating good memories in in the place that you grew up.
0: And you're pretty confident that if to go back to your island, which has the seven councils on it, if you were one council and you would still be the smallest council in Scotland by a mile, 4,000, would that not have happened? Would you not have been able to go ahead with their swimming pool project?
1: I don't think we would have been able to go ahead because, you know, of course, you know this from Scotland also, it, it's, it's it's a common thing all over the world, also all over the North Atlantic, that when you have um, towns and villages that are comparable size, that are neighboring towns and villages, they typically compete. Uh, and if, you, if we had had one municipality on the island here with uh, these with 11 towns and villages that are here then i think that for the first maybe decade or something like that it would have been a, a, an in the fight uh, in, uh, in the council in the town in the council the island council instead of uh, allowing uh, the towns that have a municipality today to focus on creating development for themselves this town is the second largest town in surrey we have focused on the experience economy the largest town they have focused on fisheries and, and another town is focusing focused on on creating best uh, possible opportunities for families with children. And this is this is the, the dynamics of, of a small local community that you can focus on creating it, uh, or walking the path that you choose to walk with the local people.
0: So you're saying then that if you had been one big council, uh, there would be stalemate because everybody would want that school. Everybody would want yeah. that one investment. And you would spend a lot of time. I mean, th- we know this happens, that there's huge arguments politically. In fact, that's what politics can often be about. Simply, who manages to get what for their ward?
1: But yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But you, you, so you think you're free to just use your energies where you are?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. If if if, if this island was one uh, one municipality, I'm sure that the swimming pool had not been built. I'm sure that this uh, the sports facility, uh, sports hall had not been built the sports high school maybe could have been built but we have a story here in, in, in the island where we have uh, the national politics uh, uh, interfering with the with the what we wanted to do on the island and and we have actually built um uh, upper secondary school on the island but instead of building it in the, either in this town the second large town or in further the large town is built in between the towns so everybody that wants to go to upper secondary school on Surrey, they have to drive to this upper secondary school because it's in the midst of nowhere. and that's the really stupid thing about uh, uh, large politics when you come into large politics that that you get these infights of what where should you put uh, a school, a hospital or a home for the elderly and so on and and typically people want to fight for it to have it uh, placed in their town or their municipality. But if you have a local town council, you can focus on what you want in your local uh, town.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, look. Um. We, we normally run for one and a half hours, and we're we're there. <laughs> we're just over that. It, this is so fascinating that I think people are just are still with us. And uh, that question that's still sitting there: What is the ideal size? Well, you know, the just just to say that the the average size across the EU and across the Nordics, I think in Norway is 10,000. That's the average size. So that's taking in big cities like Glasgow, Edinburgh um, and creating an average of 10,000. That's true across the whole of Europe. And we have an average of 175,000. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting one to ask how we can change this in Scotland, how we can begin to get a discussion going about this. but to my mind the appetite and belief that people have a place that they believe in that they have have got roots in that's it all it seems to me there's a very strong connection with this question of land ownership because we haven't had that over centuries to the same degree as other normal countries but we have to start now <laughs> because we are wasting, 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 wasting the energy of people. And I personally have been involved in community buyouts. Certainly they work. They're the exception. We, we need defaults, normals, you know, normal ways of behaving that just pours the energy of local people into the very place they're in. Um, and I was thinking of one um, community discussion I was involved in in Ardnemirchen, where the people of Strontian actually ended up building a school. And I asked them if they would be happier if they'd had a small council, an Ardnemirchen council, that would you know, have, have matched it because their discussions were being held with a very remote Highland Regional Council, yeah, two days away or a, a long drive away. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, they said they wouldn't even have got involved with an Arden-American council. That was too big. <laughs> that what they were interested in was literally their school. No, nothing bigger than that. Um, and, and in a way, at the time, I thought, gosh, right. But, do you know, listening tonight um, to our Norwegian colleague who's absent and to Dennis who's present, the reason is that that is the right size. The size that you're talking about on your island is the school. You know that's that's the main thing as parents. That's the main thing that people get connected with, and that keeps reinforcing an awful lot of their energies. So, you know, maybe we we need some <laughs> very major rethinking here.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I can make this short. I'll try to make this short. But, but we see what we see happening is that uh, we get, for example, in the Faroes and also around the North Atlantic, we see we see a larger and a larger companies emerging and and people just uh, thinking about new trends of their lives. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, I think, taking control of your life, taking control of your time, focusing on nature, environment, and so on. And we see that people are moving back to rural areas. Actually, Oslo is for the first time, maybe in 100 years or something like that, have a stagnation in population because people are moving out of Oslo. And if you're moving out to a rural place or a remote place or a small place, you really want to have uh, an influence so this this important importance of a local uh, democracy a local council and a local tax base uh, cannot be underestimated i think i think that's a really important uh, important part of of creating the good life for people
0: yep okay well look amen to that um thank you very much for your time tonight dennis i really appreciate it um and thanks to everybody who's co-joined us and please remember i'm going to put those uh, podcast uh, links on social media and it's also there on the on the website nordichorizons.org on Monday so thank you very much everybody and we'll be back in another couple of months with another event so good night all and I was going to say safe home but you are home so (laughs) I'll see you again. Bye. Bye. Bye.